0: man in our gospel lesson asked a question that has been asked for years. How do I get eternal life? Right, you can think of perhaps stories you heard about the Middle Ages, right? Where where people would put together what they thought were magic elixirs that would somehow extend life beyond what they were, were used to. Perhaps the first thing that popped into your mind was Ponce de Leon, right, who came to Florida in search of the Fountain of Youth so that he could live forever. Perhaps a a more modern example of of that desire to to live forever is, well, people cryogenically freezing their bodies, right, in hopes that someday all illnesses will be cured and, and the secret will be unlocked to, well, People will be able to live forever. And and when that happens, they hope that their their bodies will be be unfrozen and reanimated so that they too can live forever. In Jesus' day, this rich man comes and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do in order to live forever? What must I do to be part of your kingdom, Lord? Lord suppose there are any number of different answers that a person's heart could come up with as far as how one gets eternal life. In fact, as we go through this account of this exchange between Jesus and this rich man, we're going to, Jesus is going to touch on a few of those examples or a few of those things that a human heart comes up with as far as how a person gets to eternal life. Perhaps it's one of the first one was is most clearly seen just in the man's question, huh? What must I do to get eternal life? The man comes to Jesus and he has in his mind, right, I've, I've done the things that my God has asked me to do in the Old Testament law. Right, and in fact, that's where Jesus takes him. He takes him back to that Old Testament law and says, well, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Honor your father and mother. Right, And you can, you can imagine that young man, that, or that rich man, checking off those boxes as he thinks about his life and all the things that he's done. And so Jesus finishes up and he says, Yeah, I've done all those things since I was a boy. At that point, he must have been feeling a little bit good about himself because after all, in his opinion, he's done all the things, he's checked all the boxes as far as what he must do in order to inherit eternal life. And then Jesus comes with an absolutely crushing blow. Right? He he looks at him and in essence says, you haven't even kept the first commandment. Right? Because what does he tell the, the, the rich young man or the rich man? He says, Sell everything you have. Right? Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And we're told that the rich man did what? Immediately went and sold everything he had right, and started following Jesus. No, he went away sad. Not only because he had great wealth, but because where was wealth in his life? the most important thing. Right? And you go back to what the first commandment was, right? You shall have no other gods. In essence, in in saying you shall have no other gods, God is telling us that he wants to be first in our life. And so Jesus demands or or delivers this absolutely crushing blow to this, this rich ruler by saying, you think you've kept God's commands. You think what you've that what you have done is enough to inherit eternal life. But I'm telling you, you haven't even kept the first because what God wants first and foremost aren't actions. What he wants first and foremost is your heart. And right now, rich ruler, you've given your heart to something else. And he goes away Sad, and you can understand it. I think from from one perspective, right? When you have your heart set on something, or when something is so important to you that losing it, well, they can make you sad. Those listening to to Jesus there kind of hear all this and say, "Boy, if that's the case, it's going to be really hard to get into heaven." Right? And and Jesus responds and says, you're right. With man, this is impossible. I suppose if we just stop right there, on the one hand, we could look and say, I understand what Jesus is saying. Right? I understand the point he's making to the rich ruler about how what he wants most of all is for us to, for him to be first in our life, that he wants our hearts, and that to obey God's commands means you have to do it perfectly. And this rich ruler hadn't done that. And so he comes with not only that crushing blow of you have to get rid of things, that, that, thing, that, that one thing that has complete hold of your heart, but you don't inherit eternal life by what you do because you haven't done it. The standard that God sets for for heaven and eternal life, if if you want to try and earn it, is perfection, right? He says, if you want to earn eternal life, what you have to do is keep all of God's commands perfectly. And so that, that crushing blow to the rich ruler was, you haven't done that. And because you haven't done that, eternal life isn't yours. And then there's the matter of what his heart was enamored with. He hadn't just not kept all of God's commands. He had also set his heart on something that wasn't God. And so for that reason, he hadn't inherited eternal life. Now I suppose before we come down too hard on the rich man, it's probably good for us, for you and I, to consider Jesus' words for ourselves. When you hear those words to the rich man, a man who goes away sad because he's wealthy, who are the people that pop into your mind as far as being wealthy? Because that's who Jesus would be talking to, right? The wealthy. You might think of first one that pops into my mind, Bill Gates, right? Billions of dollars, right? You can think of of, of Wall Street, guys who who work on Wall Street and and deal with stocks who who run large money market firms, right? And and millions of dollars that they have and have earned because of the decisions they have made. You might think of of people who have have started a a company and and done a startup, right? And, And that company, Millions or even billions of dollars, and as a result, wealth. But Jesus is looking at you. And what does he see? He sees someone who is 90 to 95% richer, more wealthy than everybody else in the world. So who's the rich man? Who's the wealthy person Jesus is looking at? It isn't the people that you and I consider wealthy. It's you and me. Because compared to the standards of the world, you and I are really, really, really wealthy. Which makes us begin to look at the effect that that wealth can have on our hearts. Because wealth in and of itself is neither good nor bad. Right? It's simply a blessing that God gives. But the way our heart looks at that blessing can certainly be one that turns it into something good or bad. We see it in the case of the rich man, right? As he comes to Jesus, Jesus addresses the the way that the man's heart was looking at his wealth because the man had made that wealth the most important thing. It is where he found security in life. It is where he found joy and happiness because when God came and said, the way to eternal life is for you to give up that idol that is in your heart. The, The way you look at the wealth I have given you is wrong. So give it up and you will have eternal life. And he goes away sad because those possessions had a hold on his heart. So he speaks to rich believers like you and me. And he says, where do those possessions rank in your life? I think the easiest way is to just look at some of those things and what happens when we lose them. What's the reaction? Go away sad? Angry? That something that we had is now no longer ours or has been taken from us? That a blessing that we once enjoyed is is no longer part of our life? Perhaps we can begin to diagnose that that idol in our heart by looking at how we see how others have been blessed. Right? If, I, if I'm one that always has to have the newest and shiniest toy because the things that God has given me aren't good enough, that I have to have something better, might begin to be a bit of a clue as to where possessions and how important they are in our life and whether they have a hold on our heart. Right? If, it is be, if I look at, at what my neighbors have or I, I look at, at things that others have and I go, well, why can't I have that? Why hasn't God given me that? And then you do all you can in order to, uh, to, to get that. Might be a bit of a clue. And my guess is, is if you and I look at our hearts, we're no different than that rich man in that our possessions have a certain hold on our heart. It may be that we look around us and perhaps I don't have as much as the person next to me or I don't have the same possessions or blessings that my neighbor does or I can look at people richer than I and say I don't have the same number of blessings that they have but those blessings have a grip on my heart. And we hear Jesus' words that says what he wants most of all from us is our heart. It wasn't just a crushing blow to that, young, to that rich ruler because he hadn't kept God's law, but God was asking him to give up what was most important in his heart. He asks you the same thing. He wants you to examine your heart, and if it's not him, as the most important thing in all of life, to give whatever it is up. Because he can promise you that it will never give you the same happiness and joy and fulfillment in life that he does. And it will never give you eternal life. And what's hard is we begin to look at our hearts and we see those things that, that are important to us and that at times take the place of our God. And like the rich ruler, we can go away sad because it's it's hard. It's hard to recognize that while we might say with our lips and even have in our minds that our God is more important than anything else, when we look at our hearts it's hard to see the fact that there are other things there that with our actions and how we spend our time and what we spend our money on tell us and others actually this is more important. It's hard to look at one's own heart and see that you have set up idols there. It's no wonder then Jesus says to to those who are listening. It is impossible for man to inherit eternal life. One author I read described the human heart as simply an idle factory. It's what the heart does. A a heart that is affected by a sinful nature, which all of our hearts are, is one that constantly is pushing, trying to push God out of the picture and instead set, set something else up as being most important. What's nice is, though, that Jesus doesn't end his sentence with, that's impossible for man. It's impossible for man, but possible for God. In fact, it begins to describe the very reason why Jesus came here, isn't it? Jesus came here to do just that, to do what is absolutely impossible for you to do. He came here to earth to perfectly keep every last one of God's commands, to, have, to perfectly have a, a right relationship with the things of this world, to perfectly have a heart that was set only on his heavenly Father, to perfectly do what is perfectly impossible for you and I to. He, he came here to earth to stand between us and, and God, right? To take the, the punishment and, and the, the wrath of God that our sins deserved in our place. He came to do what we rightly should do, but didn't have to because Jesus did. He came here to do what what is completely impossible for you and I to do. Get eternal life. Right? With his perfect life, his innocent death, with his resurrection, he is able to assure us that our sins are forgiven. And because sin is forgiven, God gives us life, eternal life with him forever. What's even more amazing is that God sends his Holy Spirit through the gospel in word and sacrament, to people with unbelieving hearts, to people with a sinful nature like you and me, and, and through the word and, and through the sacraments, creates a faith that helps us see our Savior. And the things that were impossible for us to do, we see a Savior who did them for us. So that from the very beginning to the very end of our salvation, you and I had absolutely no part of it. We have a God who accomplished who lived, who died, who did all the things you and I weren't able to do, who forgives us for all the sins and the times we've set up idols in our own hearts. Then comes you through the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament to reveal that to us and create a, a faith that trusts in what Jesus has done So that one day he can give us eternal life with him forever. And there isn't a single thing you and I have done for it. And there isn't a single thing you and I have to do to get it. It's rather amazing, isn't it? I mean, mean you see that and your heart can't but be filled with awe. That God would love you so much that he would do everything for you. A God who would see your sin and still love you in spite of it. A God who patiently deals with you even though you have a heart that likes to put other things in his place. A God who patiently and graciously comes to you again and again and again through word and sacrament and assures you you're forgiven. My blood has paid for every last one of your sins Not only are you my dear child, but eternal life is yours. While you may not always see that looking at our heart, by faith it's what the Holy Spirit has convinced us of, huh? He's convinced us of the very heart of the matter that eternal life is ours because our God has done everything. Amen. Amen. And the peace of God, which goes beyond our understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Our Savior Lutheran Church is located on the south side of Birmingham off Highway 280. We are on Dunant Valley Road, about three-quarters of a mile east of Treetop Family Adventure and Sports Blast. Our Sunday services begin at 1015 with Sunday School and Bible Class at 9 o'clock. We welcome visitors and hope to see you soon. For more information, please visit our website at OurSaviorBirmingham.com. Click on Sermons at the top of the page for a copy of today's service folder. You can also find this online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.